We've been going through the book of Leviticus, and again, Leviticus, it's the handbook for the Levites. It's the handbook for the Levites that, in a sense, we've stumbled upon or the Lord has placed here for us to be able to read, for us to be able to go through and look through. But if there would be one theme for us, right, one theme for us to take from Leviticus, for us to apply to our own lives, it's holiness, The holiness of God and the holiness, in a sense, that's required if we want to come into the presence of God. And here in this place, to be able to come into the presence of God, it would take time. It would take work. It would take hours. It would, there'd be a cost associated with it. That we talked about the five different sacrifices, right? There was the burnt offering and the grain offering and the peace offering. That was all out of your own free will. That was just saying, Lord, I want to love you and show you praise. Or, Lord, I want to love you and I want to give my all to you. I want to give you even more than what you require or have asked of me. And that was completely free will. But there was also a trespass offering and a sin offering. So if you committed a sin by accident, you didn't realize what you were doing, you had to go and make an offering to be right with God. And now if you committed a sin and you knew you committed it, you would also have to come and make that sacrifice before the Lord. And we talked about it a little bit, right? We get a little bit of squeamish. Not too many of us are out on the farm or out on the ranch hunting animals and slicing and dicing and cleaning and all that stuff, right? But imagine the hours it would take. First and foremost, there's only one tabernacle, right? So if it was that time where you wanted to get right with the Lord, you wanted to have fellowship with God, you'd have to get time off of work, You'd have to make sure your farm was ready, everything was taken care of, your kids were taken care of, right? And now you would, out of your own pocket, out of your own home, would have to pick that goat or that ram or that lamb or that bull. Pick the best one, right? You can't pick the one with three legs. Can't pick the one that looks funny, right? You can't pick the ugliest one you got. No, you got to pick the most perfect one you have. And now you have to bring that there to the high priest. And then we talked about it, right? You would be the one to put your weight upon the animal, saying, this animal's taking my sins. The death that's required of my sins, now this animal's taking it, and you would be the one to slit the throat of the animal. Keeping your hands there, feeling the animal, dying, buckling, the agony, the gurgling, all of that, you would be there. And you wouldn't just stop there. You wouldn't just say, no, master, give in. And I said, no. Now you would have to be the one to clean the animal to rinse it out, to separate it, and go through that whole process. Again, the holiness that it took in ancient times, right, before Christ to come to the Lord, to be in right standing with God, to have fellowship and access to God. And I think we take it for granted today. I think we take it for granted because an hour and a half service, sometimes, I know not you guys, but sometimes we're looking at our clock, right, Saying, hey, it's, it's already 8.07. He's still going through the intro. How long is this going to take, right? I haven't had dinner yet. Everything closes at 10 now, right? Is he going to finish up? I got to make Chipotle before it closes, right? What's going on, right? Whatever the case may be, we take it for granted how quick and easy it is for us to have fellowship and access to God. The gift of salvation that Christ has given us, how he has, we'll look at the end of the teaching tonight, how he has done every single one of these sacrifices, He's completed it, so now we don't have to go and offer sacrifice anymore. He is our sacrifice once and for all. 
So again, maybe we should take a step back and look at our own lives and say, Lord, when was the last time I sought you and it cost me something? Because every single time one of these Israelites or even someone that wasn't from Israel wanted to come and seek God, it had a cost. Are we running away from the things of God that have a cost associated with it? Right? Oh, that, that's just too hard. Man, my Wednesday night, not you guys. You guys are all here, right? It's the people online, right? Man, that's too hard. That's too dangerous. That's too this. I can't come and see God. I might have to give up something. Could you imagine I have to give up something to go to church? I have to give up something to serve God? That doesn't seem right. As we're talking to Jesus and how he gave his whole life for us, right? When was the last time we put in hours? Again, we talked about this. Cleaning an animal, if you're a professional, it'll take you an hour. If you were doing this once a year, it's not going to take you an hour. A whole bull, right? A thousand, two thousand pound animal to completely clean it. You're going to be there for four or five hours for just one time to have fellowship with God. To say, Lord, I love you and I want to give my all to you. And really and truly, God's desire for the nation of Israel was that they would all be a kingdom of priests. We could turn there real quick. Exodus chapter 19 verse 6. And in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, again, this was God's desire for the entire nation of Israel. Right? Sometimes it's sad. We see people within our own lives, or maybe we've been there, right? Or we sense God has a calling on their life. God has something special for them, but they don't answer that calling, right? And the same is here for the nation of Israel. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, it says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Again, this was the heart and intent of God. Not that some people would be lacking in their spiritual state and other people would be these spiritual giants. But that every single one of them would be that priest. Because originally what God intended was the firstborn son of every family was supposed to go and become a priest. There when Aaron kind of, not kind of, when Aaron super messes up, right, and they make the golden calf, the Levites were the only ones that stood on behalf of God. And then that's when God said, okay, Levites, you were formerly cursed, but now you're going to be special unto me. And now the priesthood is going to come through you. But I got some good news and bad news for us. It's good news if we're desiring God. Maybe it's bad news if we're trying to be lazy with God. He's called us to be a kingdom of priests as well. He's called you and I to be a priest. We go to Revelation. I go from Exodus, second book of the Bible. Now we go to Revelation chapter 1. We start off in the second half of verse 4. It says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, are we making excuses for our sloppiness in this season? Are we making excuses for our carnality in this season? Are we making excuses for how fleshly we've become in this season? Or have we realized the bar, the standard that Jesus Christ himself has given us is that we're supposed to be kings and priests? 
Right, every once in a while you hear that, yeah, I'm a poster boy for Christianity that if I could get saved, anyone could get saved, right? But sometimes people say that so they could stay sloppy in their, in their Christianity, right? Like, look, I could give the Lord as little as possible, and I'm still a Christian, at least I think in my mind, I don't know about in the Bible, but at least in my mind I think, right? And it'll be okay. But no, the Lord has called us to be holy as he is holy. So we go back to Leviticus chapter 6, and again, that's the backdrop of this book. That's the backdrop for each and every one of us. God has called you to be a king and a priest, right? A queen and a priestess in a sense, right? Not with your own church, not with your own kingdom, but we're serving God. We're serving God's kingdom. We as the priests, we're supposed to have God in our minds, right? God in our mind and God in our hearts and also God's people upon our heart. Kind of like that breastplate that they would wear. So now as we go to Leviticus chapter 6, we've already gone through the five offerings. He's going to give a couple of details here now on the five different offerings. Kind of gathering all up together before he jumps onto. Now the next subject will be on Aaron and his sons, the priests, their consecration. How they're supposed to act, how they're supposed to work. But Leviticus chapter 6, we'll read verse 1 through 6. And uh, then we'll make a couple comments on it. Verse 1, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, if a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or about a pledge, or about a robbery, or if he was extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost, and now he lies concerning it, and he swears falsely in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. Again, notice how these are all sins, right? You find something, you lie about it. Someone asks you to take care of something, now you're kind of lying about what they ask you to take care of or the terms of taking care of things, right? Just even lying, this is a sin. Verse 4, it says, Then it shall be, because he has sinned and is guilty, that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which he has extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or the lost thing which he found or all that about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value and add one-fifth more to it. So you got to restore it and add 20% and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, a ram without blemish from the flock, with your valuation as a trespass offering to the priest. Again, this trespass offering... This is when you sinned against someone. And now what he's showing us here in verses 4 through 6, it's not just good enough to say, I'm sorry. Right? It's not good enough to say, I'm sorry. We joked around, right? Someone rear-ends your car, your bumper falls off, the whole back of the car is messed up. You guys are all Christians here, right? Hopefully, right? If they just say, hey, I'm sorry, I'll see you later. Are you good with that, right? Hey, I'm sorry, I apologize, I'll see you later. Are you good with that? No, don't be good with that, right? Got to call the police, got to get the license number, you got to report what's happened. And oftentimes we think, even though we've hurt someone else, we could just say, sorry, and carry on and act like nothing's happened. The Lord says, that's not good enough. If you've hurt a brother or a sister or a neighbor, you need to restore the full value and add 20% according to the law at this point. What God is revealing us To us here is that you cannot be right with God if you are not right with your neighbor. God, he wants both. And that's why we got to be careful. Sometimes we get caught up in our own self-righteousness and self-holiness. 
that we lose complete track of our real lives with one another. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 5. We see Jesus himself talking about this. And this is a dangerous. Lots of times you see it um, within marriages. You have a man that wants to act super holy, super spiritual, super knowledgeable in the Bible. And yet their marriage is a complete disaster and a wreck. And it gets to the point where the wife almost loathes the Lord can't stand God, can't stand religion, because you have a man here that's act, trying to act so holy, and yet he doesn't love his wife whatsoever, and he's completely neglecting her. Happens lots of other ways as well, but in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, right, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Again, here Jesus himself, he's saying, I don't care about the offering. I don't care about your service or your perceived service. I care about your heart and your relationship with mankind, your relationship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's the true demonstration of your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're a jerk to every Christian out there, you're being a jerk to his bride. You're being a jerk to the people that he died for, that he cares for. And you see this over and over in Scripture, right? Even in Psalm 51, how Jesus says, Sacrifice is an offering. That's not what you wanted. But a broken and contrite heart, Lord, that you're not going to despise. So we have to be careful. Sometimes we hide behind our service or we hide behind our perceived service, right? And we think we're okay with God. That's not the case at all. We've been going through 1 John. We read it a couple weeks ago. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, what did John say about them? You guys remember? They're a liar. That's what John says. Not me. That's what John says, right? He says, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. If you have a love for God, you have to have a love for other believers. And sometimes, one final point on this, sometimes people, they come to Jesus Christ thinking he's just going to solve all their problems. And that's really the only reason they're there. They're only there because they totally blew it, they totally messed up, and now they're coming to Jesus on a last-ditch effort to just kind of fix everything and wipe it all away. And even here with this law of restoration, God is saying, hey, I'm willing to forgive you of your sins, but you still have to pay what's owed. You still have to get right with your brother or sister. And in this time period, it was pay the full amount plus 20%. Again, if you're here and you destroyed your marriage in and of your own accord, don't just come to God thinking that he's just going to magically fix everything. You lost your job. Don't come here thinking God's going to just magically fix everything. There are still consequences for our actions. Now, they get minimized oftentimes when we come to God because of his grace, mercy, and love. But as we've been going through the life of David, there are still consequences. One last and great example of this, right? The shortest guy in the Bible that we know of, Zacchaeus, right? The tree climber, the rich man, right? 
What was the way that he was able to show that he really loved Christ and he wanted to be restored with Jesus? Right? In Luke 19, verse 8 through 9, Zacchaeus, it's out of his own heart. He says, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he has also a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Again, this was BC, before Christ. Zacchaeus had done all this evil. Now he's saying, hey Lord, I want to be right with you. I'm going to restore to people what I have taken from them. Again, here we're seeing the, the difference between true repentance and false repentance. And we need to look at this within our own hearts and when we're dealing with people. True repentance is looking for restoration no matter the cost. No matter the cost. All they desire is restoration. I just want to be right with you once again. Lord, I just want to be right with you once again. Honey, I just want to be right with you once again. Brother, sister, I just want to be right with you once again. 20%, four times the amount. I don't care, man. I just love you and care about you. False repentance is looking for the appearance of restoration at the cheapest cost possible. If someone is saying they're sorry, and you say, man, if you're really sorry, you, you would do X, Y, or Z, and you're not trying to, like, bribe them or extort them, right? Hopefully that's not what you're doing. But you're saying, hey, you, you should do this one thing. You don't love me? Is me not saying I'm sorry good enough for you, right? That should be red flags going off. Someone's hurt you. A certain amount of restoration should take place. And we need to be careful in our own lives. When we've hurt someone, are we trying to dumb down our hurt? Saying it really wasn't that bad. Honey, these $5 flowers that the guy in the, in, uh, A Street in 87 knocked on my window, this should be enough for all that I've done to hurt you, right? This $2 chocolate bar, this should be enough, right? I've done a lot of bad things, but come on, it's a Kit Kat, right? No, there needs to be true repentance and true restoration no matter the cost. Verse 7, back in Leviticus chapter 6, good news for us, right? We have someone here who has sinned. They've trespassed against a brother or a sister, and now they've done things right. Verse 7, so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any one of these things that he may have done in which he trespasses. Again, what an assurance. What a promise that if we come to God on God's terms, there's a promise of forgiveness. The problem is that many times we want forgiveness, but not on God's terms, right? That quote from Joe Foles, he says, everyone in this world is trying to cover their sins. Just no one's willing to do it the way that God said to do it, right? God has made a way for our sins to be covered. It's in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's in confessing our sins one to another. He's made a way, but we look for any other way possible. It's like we mentioned in every teaching, but 1 John 1, verse 9 and 10, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, now John says we make him, you're calling God a liar and his word is not in us. Again, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And God has made a way for restoration. It's in and only in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way we have access to that is to confess our sins before the Father. Not to just say, I'm sorry, but to say, Father, forgive me for these things I've done to you. 
Now it comes to some more details on the burnt offering. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, upon the altar, all night until morning. And the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. Anyone here ever made a fire on their own? It's mostly guys, right? Any ladies make a fire on their own? couple of ladies, that's cool, okay? Guys, they have a problem with fire, right? They're all like pyromaniacs deep down inside in their heart, right? Fires usually take time. Now, he's not here. I love him to death. If Jose's around, he's going to throw gasoline on it or something and make it happen fast, right? But usually, fires take time. And they take a long time to burn out. That's, that's just the way they are. And this is a picture for us that if we want to be that living sacrifice for God, if we want to give God extra, right, if we want to give our all, it's going to take time. It's going to be a long process. It's not you just come to God one second and say, God, I want to give you my all. Okay, we're done. That's good. Right, we did it all. Awesome. No, it takes time. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, right? We go there real quick. Man, I thought I would be able to go through three chapters, and I was like, two chapters, and yeah, exactly. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is our picture of a burnt sacrifice for us today. Lord, I want to give you more than just status quo. Lord, how can I do that today? Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And we see here Paul's heart. He's, he's, he's begging with them. He's pleading with them that they'd be willing to offer this burnt sacrifice unto the Lord. He says, I beseech you. All right, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you, brethren. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is the only reasonable thing to do in view of all that Jesus has done for us. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This heart of being a living sacrifice for God, it takes time. It's day in and day out. Waking up in the morning and saying, okay, God, here's another day. I'm all yours. Lord, here's another day. I don't want to be conformed to this world. But, Lord, instead I want to be renewed by going through your word. Being a living sacrifice, it's the best place to be. But it takes time. It's day in and day out. It's kind of like when Jesus asked Peter, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Hey, Peter, do you love me, right? How Jesus would often say, hey, there's this one thing I want from you, right? Are you willing to give up that one thing for the Lord? That's being that living sacrifice for God. You're saying, Lord, I'm not holding anything back, right? In Leviticus, Lord, this whole tractor is yours. This whole tractor, I'm burning all of it. I'm not just asking the church to take care of it so they could store it there and then I could bring it back home. No. They'd burn the entire bull. They'd burn the entire ram. They'd burn the whole entire sheep. They'd burn the whole entire two doves, two pigeons, if that's all you could afford. And that should be our heart. Lord, I'm not holding anything back from you. What does it say in Romans? This is our reasonable service. In view of what Jesus Christ has done for us, did he not give us his all? Did he not give us his everything? Did he hold anything back from us? No. So in view of what he was willing to do for us, how much more should we say, Lord, I'm all yours. This world isn't going to conform me. Lord, your word is going to transform me day in and day out. 
Back to Leviticus chapter 6, verse 10. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and his linen trousers he shall put on his body, and take up the ashes of the burnt offering which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them besides the altar. Here we see one of the times where it's talking about, again, holiness. How God desires holiness. The priests, they'd have to put on their linen garments. J. Vernon McGee says, then they have to put on their linen breeches, right? Which is what? They had undergarments that they would wear as well so that none of their flesh would be seen. We talked about this back in Exodus. There'd be a set of steps that they'd go up on to make these burnt offerings. And God didn't want any distractions during the sacrifice. He didn't want any midriff. He didn't want any ankles. He didn't want anything, right? No plumbers, anything, nothing. He wanted no distractions during the sacrifice, right? What is that for us? Again, we should be holy. Even our dress should be holy. It shouldn't be causing distractions. I, I think about it, man, when I'm getting dressed, is it, am I going to be a distraction when I teach? And when we do things, we should ask ourselves, hey, is this holy or is this fleshly? Is this being transformed by the renewing of my mind or is this just being conformed and being in the same mold of the rest of this world. Again, holiness to the Lord. The priests, they'd have to put on a different clothing, a special clothing. And then notice this in uh, verse 11. It says, Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. Again, if any of the ashes of the burnt offering got on them, the holiness was so important to God that they would say, Oh man, I got dirty. I got to go back, I got to put on new linen top, new linen trousers, and go back to serving the Lord. Again, the holiness that it took to see God, to be one with God, and to serve the Lord at this time period. How much more should we apply it to today? And not just looking at freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ. That's good, but we should also be asking ourselves, Lord, how much more can I give you? Lord, how much more can I give you? Lord, how much more can I sacrifice for you? Verse 12, and the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Every morning, they'd come out and add more wood to the fire and lay the burnt offering in order on it, and he shall burn on it the fat of the peace offering. A fire shall always be burning on the altar, and it shall never go out. Again, this was a continual work. It wasn't just one offering, one sacrifice, and it's over. It's not just one good day of fellowship with God. It's not just one day, Lord, today I give you my all, and from here on out, I'm going to live however I want. No, it's each and every day adding new wood to the fire, adding new wood to the fire. Adam Clark, he says, does the perpetual fire burn on the altar of my heart? Art thou ever looking unto Jesus and beholding by faith the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world? Again, each and every day, that, that fire should be within us. That we're broken at Jesus having to have been broken for us. We're broken that he was humble enough to give up everything in order to die for us. In order to give us that free gift of salvation. Verse 14 through 18, the grain offering. It says, this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil, right, we looked at this before, picture of the Holy Spirit, and all the frankincense, which is on the grain offering. And they shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma as a memorial unto the Lord. And the remainder of it, Aaron and his son shall eat. 
With unleavened bread, it shall be eaten in a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting, they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and like the trespass offering. All the males among the children of Aaron may eat it. It shall be a statute forever in your generations concerning the offering made by fire to the Lord. Everyone who touches them must be holy. Again, we looked at this. One part of this grain offering would be given to the priests, and the other part would be burnt there on the altar for the Lord. This was someone in and of their own heart just wanting to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Lord, thank you what you've done in my life. And again, there's no room for sin. There's no room for sin. There's no room for leaven in this. Just like there's no room for the flesh in the burnt offering, there's no room for sin in this offering. Same for us today. No room for sin and no room for flesh in our service and gratitude unto the Lord. He's not going to take that. It's unacceptable. Verse 19 through 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning... On the day when he is anointed, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering. Half of it in the morning, at night, the other half. It shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed, you shall bring it. The baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord. The priest from among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer it. It's a statute forever to the Lord. It shall be wholly burned. For every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned, and it shall not be eaten. This is talking about later on. There's going to be a huge ceremony for Aaron and all his sons before they become priests. They're going to go through an intense anointing process. And when they do this, they're not going to keep any piece of the grain offering for themselves. They're going to burn it wholly and completely there for the Lord. Verse 24, now it talks about the sin offering. Also the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and to his sons saying, this is the law of the sin offering in the place where the burnt offering is killed. The sin offering shall be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it in a holy place. It shall be eaten in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. Everyone who touches its flesh must be holy. And when its blood is sprinkled on any garment, you shall wash that on which it was sprinkled in a holy place. But the earthen vessel in which it's boiled shall be broken. And if it is boiled in a bronze pot, it shall be both scoured and rinsed in water. All the males among the priests may eat it. It is most holy. But no sin offering from which any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of meeting to make atonement in the holy place, shall be eaten, it shall be burned in the fire. Hopefully you guys are still with me, still awake, everybody good, right? Adrian, that's why we got to have it freezing in here. Nobody falls asleep when it's freezing. But what's going on here, right? Again, the sin offering, we've talked about this. They kill it, a portion is there for the person to eat it, then the head, the entrails, the skin, they would take that outside the camp and they would burn it there. Because they would take it as if the sins of the person is now on that animal. On the blood, on the head, on the skin, and on the entrails. That's why if any blood got on the priest, they'd have to stop right there and go and cleanse themselves. 
If they wanted to come and approach it, they had to be holy. They had to be clean. They had to be ready. Then it says in verse 28, right, if uh, the earthen vessel, if it's a clay pot or a clay jar that touched the sin offering, they'd have to break it and smash it and get rid of it. If it was the bronze pot, then they would have to scour it and rinse it in the water. Again, how holy our God is. What's our approach to sin? The moment sin comes into our mind, the moment a temptation comes in, how do we react? Oh, I'll just hang out here for a little bit. Let's just see how this goes, right? You already know where it's going. I think most of us at this point, whenever we're watching a TV show or watching a movie, we know how the scenes start, right? They start kissing or they show a bedroom or they show the sheets, right? You already know where this is going, right? You already know where this is going. Cut it off. Turn it off. Ah, let's just sit here and see how it's going, right? One bad word. Maybe that's the only bad word, right? No, and you keep going and keep going. Cut it off right there. We are called to be holy. Holiness unto the Lord. And anytime we're in contact with sin, we should be cleansed with God's word. Right? Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his way? How can he purify his mind, purify his heart? By taking heed to God's word. Got to be reading God's word over and over and over again. That's how we can have our lives washed away of the sins that can sometimes stick in our minds. In verse 30 here, it's talking about a different part of the sin offering. And it says, a sin offering made for the national atonement, no one would eat it. No one would eat of it. We've talked about this, that we'd be praying for our nation and the sins of our nation. Chapter 7. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. We're just going to barely glance at this. Verses 1 through 10. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. And its blood he shall sprinkle all on the altar. And he shall offer from it all its fat. The fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails. The two kidneys and the fat that's on them by the flanks. And the fatty lobe that's attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, the priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that's prepared in a covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, whether it's mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much to the other. Again, this was God showing how he was going to distribute and take care of the priests. They didn't have any land to themselves. They didn't have any income for themselves. And God made a promise to the Levites. Hey, you don't have a land. You don't have a portion. I myself will be your portion. Again, that should be our same desire. Lord, I don't care about having this or that. Lord, all I want is you. All I desire is you, Lord. All I desire is fellowship with you. And he promises he's going to take care of our needs. Not all of our wants, not all our desires, not the Lambo or the yacht or anything like that. But he promises to take care of our needs. Verse 11. This is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offering which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving Unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. 
Besides the cakes and his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it, he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. And it shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. Again, we talked about this, the peace offering. This offering was not made to make peace with God. The way you made peace with God is the sin offering or the trespass offering. The peace offering was an offering thanking God for the peace that he's already made by the death of his son, by the death of the animal, and now you would enter into fellowship with God. You'd have to first offer the sin offering or the trespass offering or the burnt offering. Then you would come and be able to have this offering to have peace with God. That's why you would bring in here leavened bread. Because in our fellowship with God, maybe not you guys, I bring sin, right? I bring in my problems. I bring in my mess-ups. I bring in my imperfections. And here we see God, he's okay with that. He's okay with us coming to him honestly, but then we have to be ready for him to continue to cleanse us and wash us and discipline us. Verse 15, now we see here how God desires fellowship with us. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be now an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. Again, God desires fellowship with us, a fresh fellowship. He doesn't want a stale fellowship. He doesn't want fellowship with you based on what you once did for the Lord on your old sacrifices for God. God wants fellowship with you today, fresh and new. Again, we have to be careful. Some of us, we go based on, yeah, back in my day, right? And we think we have great fellowship with God. And saying, hey, I don't know you, right? I'm not spending time with you. Honey, I said I love you once at the altar, right? I told you if that ever changes, I'll tell you, right? No, it doesn't work that way. It's each and every day. I love you. I care for you, man. Let's spend time together. Something seems wrong. We haven't spent that much time today. Let's go out. Let's find a babysitter. Let's spend time together. Again, the same thing with the Lord. When was the last time you spent that time with the Lord? Just you and him. Don't let your walk, don't let your fellowship get stale with God. Verse 19, the flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It's going to be burned with fire. And that's for clean flesh. All who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to God while he's unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness or an unclean animal or any abominable clean thing, unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. Again, in order to come before God... You had to be clean. You had to be washed. You had to come, God, on his terms. What's the only term for us to come right before God? It's through Jesus Christ. 
It's through Jesus Christ. It's by faith. It's faith alone, grace alone, and Christ alone, right? Verse 22 through 27, Jesus is God here. He's going to cover every single detail with the nation of Israel. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel saying, you shall not eat any of the fat of the ox or the sheep or the goat. Again, we know before, the fat's the best part, right? And God says, I want the best. I deserve the best. Are we giving God our best? Now here it gets a little strange for us, right? Verse 24, and the fat of an animal that dies naturally and the fat of what is torn by wild beast may be used in any other way, but you shall no means eat it. I don't know if any of you needed that here today, right? There's no roadkill cafe allowed here in the ancient days of Israel. Even if the animal's dead, you can't make bacon off of it or any type of thing with it. Got to let it die. You can use the fat for something else. Verse 25, if you disobey this, whoever eats the fat of the animal of which men offer to an offering made by fire to the Lord, the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood, right? Some of you guys like blood sausages. In any of your dwellings, whether of beast or bird, whoever eats any blood, that person as well shall be cut off from his people. Right? I understand that in our upbringing, some of us, right, there's nothing else to eat. So you found whatever you could eat and you still make it, right? But even if you tell a kid, right, hey, you want a blood sausage? Even a little kid's like, no, I don't want no blood sausage. What's wrong with you, right? I miss my grandma. I love her so much. But one time she gave me a jar. I'm like, what is this? She's like, hey, I want to give you this jar. She put a black line at the bottom. She goes, look, at the bottom put salt. I was going to the ranch. At the top, fill it with blood because I'm going to make blood sausage. That was one of the few times I said, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'll buy you chorizo. I'll buy you hot dogs. I'll buy you whatever you want. But we're not doing this anymore, right? Again, don't eat the blood. Why is that, right? We know the fat was the very best of the animal. The very best is supposed to be given to the Lord. We shouldn't touch the glory of God, right? The money and the women. Those are the three things that a priest and a pastor needs to be careful of. He's not touching God's glory. The church, the thing, it's not about him or his glory. Shouldn't be touching the money or the finances and shouldn't be touching the ladies. Again, can't take what belongs to the Lord. The second thing, later on it will say that life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. So shouldn't be eating that. I don't know if that really speaks to you tonight, but you can come up and we'll pray for you afterwards. Leviticus 7, 28. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, he who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. Also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. Again, so much detail here from God. Verse 34, for the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I've taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and I've given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel by a statute forever. Verse 35, this is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offering made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. 
This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations, and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. David Guzik, he points that all of this points to Jesus Christ. Or you've read that scripture in Hebrews. All of this was a shadow, and all of this is pointing to Jesus and what he's done for us. He's already done it all. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus has now once and for all been that sacrifice for us, so we don't have to go through this process each and every time we want to be right with God. Now you could turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And again, the whole point of communion is that we would be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice for us. That glory be to him, thanks be to God. All of this was just pictures pointing to Christ, what he's done for us, how he's each and every one of these offerings for us, that we'd be reminded of what God has done for us. How Jesus, he sacrificed his life for us. He allowed his blood to be shed for us. He allowed his body to be broken for us. Again, this is the only way that we can be right with God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. Here Paul, he speaks and he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed... He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Again, we're reminded of what Christ has done for us, and after we're reminded of his example and his sacrifice, now we need to examine our own lives. Lord, how's my sacrifice unto you, right? Lord, am I holding back after you gave your all for me? Lord, am I holding back? Am I really going to hold back after you have given your all for me? Lord, am I really still playing with sin, making excuses for my sin after my sin is what nailed you to the cross? My sin is what kept you there and held you there so that you could take the penalty that I deserve. Again, may we be examining ourselves. One thing that I've been blown away more and more is here when Jesus is going through the Last Supper, he's the one that had to wash all the disciples' feet. He knows what's about to happen, and he's the only one humble enough to wash all the disciples' feet. Two hours later, what are the disciples doing? They're arguing about who's the greatest among them, right? Man, let us examine ourselves. Lord, how's my humility doing? Lord, how is my love for you doing. Lord, that we be examining our lives. 